Hello and welcome to the Back Room 9 Report. We go live every Tuesday. Oh my God, what happened to me today? Let's let's start from the beginning. Hello and <laughs> welcome to this week's edition of the Back Nine Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. In other words, if it happened in golf, we have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres, and every week I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? Carlos, uh, the 2020 Winter Golf Tour has come to an end. Uh, it covered some 14 states in about seven weeks, and uh, uh, we were ready to come home. We returned home to Toledo on Saturday night about 2.30 in the morning. We were welcomed with three inches of snow on the ground and temperatures in the teens. So it's back to reality here. But um, spring is ever closer. The Masters is only like 36 days away, so we've got that to look forward to. We had a fantastic winter trip. I want to thank everyone that helped us put all that together. It turned out great. We had a wonderful time. We want to remind our listeners of the ongoing contest where they can enter to win a trip to French Lick, Indiana. French Lick Resort in southern Indiana is a joy for the whole family, but especially so for golfers. That's why Back Nine Report is happy to announce a new contest to, for our listeners. We're giving away two nights lodging at the French Lick Springs Hotel and Casino, plus a round of golf for two at the historic Donald Ross course at French Lick. The Ross course opened for play in 1917, and a scant seven years later, Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship there. It has been internationally acclaimed ever since. It's easy to enter, Carlos. Simply visit ohiogolfjournal.com. Click on the link just below the headline pictures at the top of the page. Enter your contact information, and you will be entered to win this outstanding trip to one of the best golf resorts in the country. Remember, visit OhioGolfJournal.com. Click on the Register Now button right below Jack Nicklaus's picture. Carlos, top news stories in golf this week. Tiger's going to skip Bay Hill. Brooks Kepka, Justin Rose, Ricky all missed the cut at the Honda Classic, where Sun J.M. got his first win. Bernard Longer got back to winning on the Champions Tour. Plus, we got a lot more golf to talk about, so let's go. Let's go and let's start talking about the on the on the Classic. And my God, I mean, uh, we have talked about the reigning Rookie of the Year, Sun J.M. I mean, he blistered through the Corn Ferry Tour with those three wins, and he dominated the, basically the Corn Ferry Tour two years ago. And uh, last year, he became the Rookie of the Year, even though he didn't win. This past weekend, he started fast on Sunday. He finished even stronger, winning the Honda Classic there by one shot over Mackenzie Hughes and earned his first career PGA Tour victory. He's soon to be 22 years old. He's just 21 years old from South Korea. He closed with his four under 66. He got up and down there from a par, uh, for par on a, from the bunker on the par uh, 518th and, and won it. I mean, Mackenzie Hughes had made a birdie. He was just like outside of the 50 feet on the 17th hole and gave him a chance to try to win it. But then he missed it that there on the 18, uh, 20 foot birdie. But oh my God, he would have half force of playoff. But let me tell you, I feel very 
very bad for Tommy Fleetwood. If you didn't see it, let me just put it into perspective for you. Tommy has never won. I mean, he he's 29 years old. He has won in seven countries. He entered the, the week, ranked at number 12 in the world, but has never won in the U.S. But he was on the par 518. He was feeling, feeling pretty good, I would say. He stepped up to his second shot in the par 518 hole there at the PGA Nationals Challenging Champion course on Sunday. If you remember, if you don't know, his previous two shots not only got him back into the Honda Classic, a tournament he led by three shots after starting his final round with two birdies, but really gave him a chance to walk away with his first PGA Tour victory. What he did was he rolled in a 20-foot uh, birdie putt on the par 3, number 17, which is the rowdiest hole on the golf course sending the legions of Fleetwood followers into a celebration as he pulled within a shot of Sanjay Im. He went to number 18. He smacked a 305-yard uh, drive on the par 518 right down the middle. Oh, it looked good. I mean, a chance to get up and down for the win. Uh, he said after the tournament, oh, 17 was massive, felt great walking to the 18, ripped a tee shot, felt really good, and, uh, you know, the game switches pretty quickly. That's what he said. <laughs> it changed with one swing of the club because the decision for him was to, like, go left where it was wide open and then try to get up and down for birdie, or, hey, let's go for the win. And he did that. And, unfortunately, landed on the water and that just took him out he sliced the ball and he never reached the land splashing down just a few yards from the embarkment in front of the hole he bogeyed the hole after taking his one stroke penalty and oh my god that was it I thought he really had a chance to win it but hey we gotta give the due to who who is due and that was Sanjay Im who finished six under par uh, he matched the second-highest score to win the Honda Classic since he moved to the PGA National in 2007. Uh, he is the reigning PGA Tour uh, Rookie of the Year, has played more tournaments and more rounds than anyone in the last two seasons. And now, finally, he has a victory to show for. So he became the seventh South Korean to win on tour, and he was the 10th international winner at the Honda Classic the last 16 years. Fred, feel bad for Fleetwood, still seeking that first uh, PGA Tour win. He started the day one shot clear off the field, but then PGA National did what it usually do, which is being not let anyone run away from the back. Uh, Brendan Steele was another player who also sure, had a share of the lead on the back nine, but he only made one birdie. Uh, and then had two bogeys over the last five holes to tie for fourth with Benny Ann, Lee Westwood, and Daniel Berger. But the story of the day to me still, yes, Sanjay M1, Tommy Fleetwood let one go. And big names, you mentioned it at the top of at the start of the show, Bruce Kepka, Ricky Fowler, and, Dustin, and Justin Rose, all of them, Mr. Cott. Yeah, that left him with a less than kind of satisfactory field for the weekend. But it turned out a lot of drama over the last nine holes, especially. And, of course, when you've got 15, 16, and 17, the bear trap, you're, going to, you're always going to have some interesting golf to watch. 
you know, you could just almost see the guy start shaking, especially like on 17. That is a tough, tough shot across there. If the wind's blowing at all, I mean, there's just nothing up there to hit to. You, I mean, you can go try to hit it in the bunker over the green, but then that 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 sand shot coming back out is all downhill with the water on the other side. It is just, it, it's a very fearful shot. It it really is. Um, Tommy Fleetwood did. He gave this away, Carlos. That is that's the big story. Yes, yeah, Sun J M played very well, but uh, Tommy Fleetwood did just flat gave this baby away. Uh, he, especially after his good start, uh, he just uh, started making bogeys there and uh, couldn't get it turned around. Um, and yeah, the he found the water in the last hole, but you know that again, that's a mistake. He shouldn't even, you know, he can all he's got to do is get it over on the left side of that green and two putt birdie tie, then go to the playoffs, see what happens. Uh, but he even screwed that up. So. Um, with the with the win, Sanjay Ng goes to number two in the FedEx Cup behind Justin Thomas. And, you know, we're getting fairly along in the season here. Yeah, we got all the big tournaments to come yet. But, um, you know, he set himself up for a really good year here already. Um, Azinger really is taking a lot of heat for his comments uh, on TV over the weekend. Uh, he had said earlier in the broadcast on Sunday that, Fleetwood had a lot of pressure on him because he hadn't won the U.S. Yeah, he'd won five times in the European Tour, but he might find it more difficult to play on the PGA Tour. And uh, he took heat from uh, from a lot of a couple of uh, Europeans for for sure. Uh, Ian Poulter, no stranger to Twitter dust-ups, and Lee Westwood said he felt Azinger disrespected his 44 world, worldwide wins. So. Um, did Azinger disrespect the European Tour and degrade someone like Monty, who won the European Order of Merit eight times but never won a major? Well, the Euros do quite well in the Ryder Cup, so they do well on big stages. A lot of Europeans have won majors, um, but it's not the same one in Europe as it is in the PGA Tour. I- I'm sorry, it's just not. Um, guys can get mad if they want to, but, but it- it's a different. Um, the field was really bunched up. I mean, a lot of guys had a chance of doing well in this thing, but, but again, the course, you know, it's just like we talked about Riviera a couple of weeks ago, uh, PGA national showed its teeth and, you know, Jack was saying, you know, the rough was not high. They, they did not have the rough that deep. And, and, uh, but the guys just, they could not really take any advantage of PGA national. It's a tough, tough golf course. I can, I can vouch for that. It really, really is. You had to control your ball around PGA National it just, or, or you're going to shoot some big numbers. Swartzel holds an eagle from 206 yards on number 16 on Friday. I happened to be watching and saw that. That thing was uh, just tracked right in there, fell right in the hole. Uh, I got a question for you, Carlos. Uh, Christy Kerr, did you hear any of her? What do we think of her broadcasting skills? Has she got a future in TV or not? She does. She does. I mean, she speaks her mind and um... – she has experience. I mean, she's one of the best players in the past 20 years, would say, in the LPGA. And uh, she definitely – I'm not going to say she's going to have a Hall of Fame career, but I think she definitely has a second career coming if she decides to go for it. I definitely like her, um, the way that she works. That she works. I think there's it's a work in progress, but, hey – Rome wasn't made in a day, so you know, <laughs> yeah. Empire 
it took some years to to do so she's still playing so it's not like she's going to have it all right now but after she retires which should be not too far from now uh she definitely needs some she's rough around the edges but she can she can do her the job well I, I agree with you 100%. She was okay, but she needs some work. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, PGA National proved once again, distance is not the big issue for low scoring. It's the course. Um, I, I, that's my biggest takeaway from the week, other than the fact that Tommy Fleetwood blew this thing. Carlos, uh, since last July, Rory McIlroy has had only one finish outside the top six. Since last July, this year he has had six, consecutive finishes inside the top five. And remember last year at the beginning of the year, we were talking about all the top tens he was having. This year, he's having all top five. He's had one win. He's had a second. He's had two-thirds and two-fifths. So my question to you, Carlos, is who holds the record for the most consecutive top fives on the PGA Tour? I do not know the answer to that one. Who is it? Come on, make a wild guess. Just give me a name. You got this is this is the easiest question I've ever given you. Okay, it's either Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, okay? From okay. from the WC FedEx St. Jude Invitational in July of 2007 through 11 tournaments finishing with the 2008 US Open when he played on a broken leg at Torrey. He had 11 top fives. And of the 11, um, nine of them were wins. I'm sorry. Eight of them were wins. Two were runners-up, and there was only one-fifth. So of the 11, <laughs> 10 were either a win or a runner-up uh, from 2007 through the U.S. For, for a whole year, really, for a whole year of his play. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I saw that stat today. I found that quite interesting. Rory has just been lighting up really top five, six top five this year, but he's, he's only halfway to, to match what Tiger did in 2007, 2008. Carlos, that's all I got for you on the uh, Honda Classic. Oh, Rory's really, really playing at a top level. Uh, let's see how far that carries. I mean, he has a very comfortable, uh, very familiar course coming at the Arnold Palmer, but we're going to talk about that in a little while. Uh, but definitely a very interesting stat. I wasn't aware of that, but it shows you how big Rory's playing and also Tiger Woods, how dominant, how how big was Tiger Woods in his heyday. Now, let's talk about the next tournament on the on the schedule here that we have, and that is the Under-European Tour where Sami Valimaki, yes, Sami Valimaki, you might not have heard of him, he's playing on the European Tour, he's from Finland, and he did a par on the third playoff hole to outlast Brendan Stone and win the Oman Open. That was his first European Tour title. Valimaki and Stone, they had both birdied at par 418 at the Almush Golf Club, for a two-under 70 to finish a 13-under, they were one ahead of Adrian Sadier, and then they came back to the 18. Two times they parted in the playoff, and then finally, uh, Valimaki won it with a par on the third extra hole. Valimaki 
I know you haven't heard of him. He won four times last year on the German-based Pro Golf Tour. He earned his European Tour card through the qualifying tournament, and he won in just his sixth European Tour start. I watched the highlights of this tournament, Fred, and, and Sam. He definitely has a very good game and showed some grit there to hold off on that um, three play of holes and win this one for his first European Tour title, given it was not a big field. This was uh, filled with some veterans and a lot of up-and-comers, but he did well. I mean, to win anywhere is a big step for him. So Sami Valimaki from Finland, a name to watch on the European Tour. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, who's heard of this guy, right? Um, But he's come really fast. He was still an amateur in 2018, uh, and uh, he ended up qualifying for this pro golf tour, uh, a really minor tour in Europe, at the 2018 qualifying school. And then he won his first event as a pro. Then he won uh, three other tournaments consecutively a little bit later in the year, uh, and he already had earned his uh, um, chance to move up to the Challenge Tour because of all this. But he went ahead and qualified, went to the uh, European Q School, and he ends up uh, winning that thing and uh, gets his card. So um, this is, a, you know, this is really a, a really rapid rise for this guy. So we may want to keep our eye on this guy. Um, he's only the fourth um, player from Finland to win on the European Tour. Nico Ilanonen, who we know, uh, Rube Kako and um Cornyn, but uh guys that i'm not even familiar with but uh yeah this guy's come a long way it's awful fast uh carlos um so we're gonna have to keep an eye on him most definitely let's see when all those uh big players start playing there but he he definitely has games so we'll, we'll see confidence uh, he definitely showed by winning there a lot of grit. So, Sami Valinaki from Finland. Now, I got, hey, I got, I got something else for you before we get away, before we get away from there. I got something else for you. Um, uh, really, you know, that was great that this guy won. But and I and I completely overlooked this. A big story there uh, was uh, the coronavirus uh, kind of thing. Um, two Italian professional golfer or two professional golfers. Uh, from Italy, Eduardo Molinari and Lorenzo Gangli uh, were far, forced to withdraw from the Oman Open um, because they put them in, the doctors put them into quarantine in the hotel. They were rooming together, and uh, Gangli went for a uh, uh, medical exam, and they put him in uh, a quarantine in his room, and because Molinari had been rooming, they quarantined him as well. And so they weren't going to let him play on Thursday, but um, the, um, the European tour stepped in. Evidently, they got the results back quick enough. It was just a cold. It wasn't anything serious. So they put Gogli and uh, Molinari, they paired them up, and they'd already started the tournament on Thursday. The early tee times were off. They put them out last off. They paired them up and sent them out in the la- as, the, as the last group uh, Thursday afternoon. And uh, so they ended up, uh, Gagli finished T10, and Molinari finished at T50. So they made a little bit of money, but um, the, uh, they were not real happy with it. Um, Gagli said it was an inex- inexplicable decision. Um, you know, there was only two of them that had been uh, 
excluded from the tournament before, you know, on Wednesday. And he'd been around all, a whole bunch of other players and working out and all this other stuff, traveling. And said, if, if I've got a problem, everybody else should have a problem. So, and uh, um, Molinari said he was just uh, very bored and very annoyed. Uh, but Keith Pelley said it was a difficult global situation, one during which we will continue to follow all guidance given us on all the preventative measures. All decisions will continue made in the interest of overall public health. Uh, we will also continue to work closely with our own health experts and local authorities to ensure we have the latest medical and travel advice for all our tournaments. Because the well-being of our players, staff, and spectators remains the European Tour's absolute priority. So this coronavirus thing is just completely out of control. Italy, I believe, is the second, the, the country with the second most instances of uh, a known coronavirus um, um, problems. So uh, they're, um, you know, probably a little bit ouchy over there, a little bit overprotective maybe of what needs to be done. But uh, it did create a little bit of a problem for a couple of players on the European Tour at Oman, Carlos. Oh, yeah. And uh, they are not the only ones the only organizations going through issues with the coronavirus. The coronavirus is just spreading faster than everyone expected. There's deaths everywhere. Like you mentioned, Italy is right there at the at the height of it, unfortunately. And golf's governing bodies, they all say that they're keeping an eye closed, a uh, close eye, sorry, on the coronavirus, the potential implications and tournament calendars. We have seen already that some pro tours have canceled or postponed events like the USGA is not altering its qualifying schedule at the time at this time for the US Open or the US Women's Open. There's going to be uh, US Women's Open qualifiers scheduled for China, South Korea, and Japan. That's going to be late April. So they're still looking at it. Japan will host the final qualifying stage for the US Open late in May. And there was a meeting, an annual meeting for the USGA on Saturday in Pinehurst. And uh, Mike Davis indicated that everyone get prepared now. They, they have to be proactive, think through what's uh, going to happen. And John Bollinghammer, who's the senior managing director of championships, also said that they have great security consultants, teams looking for that. They were asked if they had an emergency plan in place. And then he said, yes, they do, but that is not just their 14 national championships. They have to run uh, close to 700 qualifiers for those. So uh, also the PGA Tour had released a statement yesterday, just after three weeks, uh, when they canceled the PGA Tour Series China, uh, two tournaments, two qualifying tournaments there, and they are also closely monitoring the situation uh, with input from the CDC and the World Health organization so it's affecting everyone everyone is on alert but it's not only in golf we have seen it in other sports as well and uh, the biggest news might be right now and this is something that's starting to get some track still we're still uh, at least six months uh, away from but the olympics are in japan yeah. and there's still yeah. there's a uh, starting people to start to think because i, I was Listening about the 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 World Baseball Classic, who's having some of the qualifying, uh, the preliminary rounds are going to be played. One of them is going to be played in 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 Japan, and uh, there's some people are starting to get concerned about what's going to happen with the Olympics if this spreads even more. So this is something 
really that we have to not only in golf but everywhere everyone is getting around it and uh, we'll keep an eye on it definitely just like all the organizations are but it was really really sad because it might have been a, a case here on the european tour where they might have overreacted but consider the alternative as well what if they did and then they uh spread it to somebody else another player so yeah i would i would prefer to err on the side of caution rather than having to then react and try to see what happens afterwards. Right? Yep. Uh, and I, no, I'm, I'm not saying it did anything wrong. I just, you know, it was, it was difficult for those players. They were not happy about it, but they, with, with what's going on, they, they pretty much had to do it. And Italy ha- is a country that has several instances of this already uh, that like this. And we're going to talk more about this later, but like this, uh, mayor of San Francisco that's declared a state of emergency in San Francisco, and they don't even have a recorded case yet. Um, so, and then, you know, and the PGA is scheduled for uh, San Francisco in just a couple months' time. Um, so, um, you know, what's going to happen with that? Are they going to be able to have the PGA? Well, we don't know yet, um, if, you know, if it gets worse. So uh, it's definitely something we've got to keep an eye on, but I, it just seems to me a little bit, Carlos, like people overreacting with it, but um, that's just me, you know, so, um, I, and we'll see, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hey, talking about the PGA tour champions. Wow. Bernhard Langer put everyone on notice. Hey, I'm he's, he's back. He's back. He took another step closer to the champions, uh, victory record. He closed there with an eight under 65 and turned a four shot deficit into a two-shot win in the Cologar Classic. That was just Bernhard Langer vintage. He was flawless until the final hole at the Tucson National. He made nine birdies in 17 holes to see his control there on Sunday. He wound up two shots ahead of Woody Austin. He won for the 41st time on the 50 and older circuit. As we all know, Hale Irwin holds the PGA Tour Champions record with 45 victories. Last time he won was in 2007. That was the year that Bernhard Langer was first eligible for the for the circuit. He's now 62 years old and has now gone 14 consecutive seasons with at least one victory. He won and now has moved back to a very familiar place for him. That is at top the Charles Schwab Cup standings. Brett Quickly, who's been playing Awesome. I mean, very consistent. He began that final round with a three-shot lead. He was still in the mix until he had that double bogey on the par 5-12 hole. He was with a 73, tied for third with Rod Pampling. But, Fred, the story of the week and on the champion story is that Bernhard Langer, 41, Hiller went 45. The countdown keeps rolling. Yeah, Bernard slipped just a little bit last year. Scotty McCarron ends up winning the uh, Charles Schwab Cup for the first time. Somebody else other than somebody named Langer won it for a while. But it looks like Bernard is, uh, you know, 2020 is going to be my year again. I'm not going to let this slip away again. Uh, Coming right out, winning early. So don't know if he can keep this up all year, but uh, four more to go. I don't know it'll be this year that he'll pass Irwin, but probably next year for sure. Um, and, uh, I, 
45, I mean, that's one of those records, you know, 45 wins on the Champions Tour. I mean, that takes, that's four wins a year for 10 years is 40, right? That's going from 50 to 60. Um, That's, I mean, that's hard to do. And Longer now has been out there for like 13, 14 years. So he's in his early 60s and he's still winning. I mean, he's fit. He look at him. He, He looks like he's about 45. Maybe he can win for another two, three years. I don't know, but man, that's uh, that's really something. I, I thought Irwin's record of forty-five. I, you know, I thought that's one of those things that you know that that one of those records like like um, Byron Nelson's eleven consecutive wins. I just thought that's one of those things that would just never be touched. But but uh, you know, Longer's going to run him down. Looks like to me, Carlos. It looks like he's playing well. Like you mentioned, last year was like an off year for him. A lot of people started writing him off. But this year he has started really well, and he's now back at top of the Charles Schwab Cup standings. I wouldn't even rule it out. If he has one of those Bernhard Langer years, it could be this year. But again, we're, we're watching one of the great athletes in golf uh, especially on the senior tour, because after 50, it's very hard, especially 12 years right now for him, that he's been perfectly fit. Like you mentioned, you see him, you would never, ever think that he's 62 years old. He he definitely looks at least 10 years younger. But that's going to be the story that we have been you, following I'm, for the Yeah. Go ahead. And I'm telling you, Carlos, you don't know yet, but when you get over 60, stuff hurts. I mean, everything you do hurts, okay? So for him to stay in the condition that he's in and to do all this travel and do all the stuff he does, I mean, it's truly phenomenal. It's it's probably more phenomenal than like a 25-year-old, you know, winning like crazy on the PGA Tour with all the stuff they go through. I mean, winning at 60-some years old in your, in your early 60s, um, you're still – you're 12 years older than those guys that are 50. And that difference, that 12 or 13 years there, that's way different than uh, a 25-year-old versus a, a 35-year-old on, on the regular tour. That, that difference is not that great as far as physical-wise. But when you're, over, when you're over 60 and you're playing against guys who are 50, that's a big difference because those 10, 12, 14, 15 years, that, that's a lot of uh, deterioration of your body in there, Carlos. It definitely is, and that's what makes Bernhard Langer's feet so great. So we'll keep watching him, and this is going to be an ongoing story during the year. What if he makes it this year, or is he going to be keep keep getting closer and closer? Bernhard Langer is not going anywhere. Now to close up the recaps, we're going to talk about the Corn Ferry Tour. David Kocher, he had a two-putt for birdie on the par 518 to win what was a three-man playoff on the first extra hole in the El Bosque Mexico Championship. That meant he won his first Corn Ferry Tour title. He had close uh, with a three-under, and he joined Paul Barjon from France and Chad Ramsey from the U.S. in that playoff at the El Bosque Country Club. And if you feel bad for Tommy Fleetwood, what happened to him on 18? You have to feel even worse for Barjon. Barjon three-putted for par on that final hole in regulation. 
come on a two part a two part birdie and you win. That's it. That's all he needed. Two putt. What? No, he didn't. He three putted for par. When can you say, oh, I, I finished with three putt uh, par? <laughs> I don't know. That's just uh, incredible. But anyway, for Ram, Ramey, Chet Ramey, I thought he was going to be the winner. He won. He opened with five straight birdies. He was 29 on the front nine. He was just cruising along. But then came number 15, number 16, and uh, uh, bogey. So he slipped that into the three-man playoff. Uh, Kocher won last year on the PGA Tour Series China, so now it was his first time winning here on the Corn Ferry Tour. Other players, Matt Atkins was tight for the lead until a bogey on that closing hole, and he also ran out of that playoff. He tied for fourth with Dylan Wu and Mito Pereira. Uh, Fred, Mito Pereira is playing really, really good. Uh, he was a 54-hole leader, but close with a 75. He won earlier this year in the Bogota Classic to move to the top of the points list. So uh, how about the win by David Kocher? Yeah, we talk about uh, Valimaki coming on really fast on the uh, European Tour over in Europe there. But uh, this kid, uh, Coker, he um, – Graduated from Maryland in uh, 2018. He was uh, all Big Ten, all tournament team, 2015-2017. He was the first Terrapin to earn four straight individual NCAA bids. Um, You know, a great player at Maryland. He, uh, in his first year as a pro in 2018, he played in China on the PGA uh, Tour China Series. I I went and looked at his Facebook page. He had a bunch of pictures from playing over there and, and different things. It was kind of interesting. Um, last March, he was excited to be have full exemption onto the PGA Tour, Tour China for last year. Now he's a winner on the Corn Ferry Tour and will probably find his way to the PGA Tour in 2021. So stuff moves fast uh, with these young kids, Carlos. Uh, here's another young guy we may have to just keep our eye on. And with that, we close the weekend backspin, and now we move to the to the four call where we preview this upcoming weekend's action. We're going to start with the PGA Tour. Now they're at the second stop of the Florida Swing, and it's this week at Bay Hill Club and Lodging for uh, in Orlando, Florida. They're going to be playing the Arnold Palmer Invitational. You know, Arnold Palmer bought the Bay Hill property back in the 1970s, and the tour has. Uh, held this event there since 1979. But now one important thing to know about the tournament is that with this event holding an elevated status, the winner will be receiving a three-year tour exemption rather than the standard tool. So that is another incentive for anyone trying to win here. Francesco Molinari did it that last year, and he will be back defending his title this week. And let me tell you, to me, it seems like ages ago, that he was like the Ryder Cup hero. And he was using this tournament to keep building his momentum as a big prep for the Masters last year. And he's still looking everywhere in the world for that game form he lost at Ray Crick at Augusta last year. He doesn't have a top 20 finish since the Open Championship in July. Maybe Bay Hill could jumpstart his resurgence to prominence, but it won't be easy because there's a strong field headlined by the world's number one, Roy McIlroy, that is going to be at hand trying to 
prevent him from doing that. We have talked about it earlier. Rory has five top five finishes in as many starts on the PGA Tour this season. And he also has played very well here. He last time won out in 2018 at Bay Hill. The world's number three, Briggs Kepka, is coming off a missed cut at the Honda Classic. That follows a T43 at the Genesis Invitational. He's definitely not in top form. Far from it, but he's getting there. And, of course, we all know the problems that he has with his knee. So uh, he's another player that we have to keep a close watch on. It. Tommy Fleawood, man, he's, again, wow, heartbreaking the way that he lost at uh, – last week, but hey, he's still seeking for that first PGA Tour victory, but he does have a win, a pair of runner-ups, a solo third, and two other top 20 finishes in his past six worldwide starts, so he's going to be coming here very, very uh, in top form. Another player that is red hot, that is poised to do well here, is Genesis Invitational winner, Adam Scott, who's red hot. Another guy hiding Riding high in confidence is Patrick Reed. He that stellar win at the WGC Mexico. Uh, it really will be interesting to see how the fans react to him and how he blocks the noise now that he's back here in the states. Bryson Chambo finished second to him in Mexico and scored a T5 at the Genesis Invitational before that. So Bryson seems to be playing really, really well again. That's another player to watch. Jason Day won here, wire to wire in 2016. Last year, unfortunately, he had to withdraw due to a back injury that brought him down to his knees. And uh, he's back. He seems to be getting back in form. Phil Mickelson is on the field for the second consecutive year after playing it for the first time in 2013. Fred, mind-boggling. The fact that Ricky Fowler and Justin Rose have missed two of their past three cuts, but they will be here trying to righten the ship. Yeah, uh, three things for me, Carlos, from this. Uh, number one is the fact that Tiger's not playing because um, this is a course that he uh, absolutely tears up. He's won here like eight times. So you know if he was in any kind of condition, he would be playing. Sided back stiffness, uh, seems we've heard this story before. Uh, this seems to be the new normal for Tiger. Uh, needs a lot of stretching and warm weather to perform well. Uh, he appears to be saving himself for Augusta. Um, you know, now questions become, you know, well, what about the Players' Championship? What about making the Olympic team? Um, and I doubt if we're going to see him at the match play either. Remember last year, he went up through the match play, did really well, uh, got up to that semifinal match, and I know everybody says I'm crazy, but I swear he blew that thing so he didn't have to play anymore because um, he would have to play two matches on Sunday, and he didn't want a quarterfinal he, was, he lost, because I'm sure he didn't want to play two more matches on Sunday. There's no way in the world he wanted to do that. Um, so I doubt he'll play in the match play, because that's just too much golf for him. Um, power rankings are, you know, the top guy. This tournament has a much better field than the Honda had last week, which really surprises me. Uh, the Honda has normally had a little bit better field than what uh, – than what Arnold has had uh, in the last few years. But you've got Warari, Bryson, uh, Fleetwood, Hideki, uh, Mark Leishman, Sunjay M coming off the win. Adam Scott won earlier this year. Tony Finau, Patrick Reed has won. Uh, Xander Shoffley is always a, a threat to win. This could be a good golf course for him, actually. Um, Jason Day, Ian Poulter, Stenson's in the field. Of course, you've got defending champ Francisco Molinari. 
And then you got Kepka, Ricky, and Rose. So, um, and, and all that, you know, I, I, my top picks probably would be maybe like Matt Fitzpatrick and, and Xander Shavley for the week because this course should set up well for them. Um, and then I don't know if you saw this or not, Carlos, but uh, do you remember the story that we had uh, last year about uh, the tournament down in Argentina where Brandon Matthews uh, was putting for um, to get into a playoff or to win the tournament or something in Argentina, a Latino-American event, and uh, he was disrupted by a fan who made an inadvertent noise uh, right as he was putting. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't get mad. He didn't, you know, he didn't uh, take it out on anybody. And then later in the locker room, he found out that the fan had Tourette's and just couldn't, you know, stop himself from making a noise. And uh, he immediately went out, found that fan to console him and talk with him to make sure he wasn't feeling bad about it because he had uh, Tourette's uh, uh, problem and uh, someone he knew in his family. And, uh, um, and so he was very kind to that person. And so the, uh, the Arnold Palmer Invitational has rewarded Brandon Matthews with a sponsor exemption into this week's event, making his first PGA Tour start. So quite a jump from the uh, Latino American Tour to the, uh, to the PGA Tour for the API. But uh, good story there. I'm going to be curious to see how he does this week, Carl. Most definitely. That's a, that was a really uh, good, feel-good story last year and well-earned for him that he's going to be here. Like you mentioned, that's an Arnold Palmer-like gesture. Hey, the European Tour will present the Commercial Bank Qatar Masters this week, and that's going to be their last event in the Middle East swing. They will be playing at the Education City Golf Club. That is a new venue from Doha Golf Club. Uh, it was designed by Jose Maria Olazabo. We really don't have any history on this uh, on this course, so there's not much we can try to say about it. And also with the Arnold Palmer Invitational this week, the players is next weekend. So this is a mediocre field relative to the European Tour uh, for the second consecutive week. But there's a solid lineup of up-and-comers and some established stars in the field again. Uh, Martin Keimer and Thomas Peters may be the biggest names for the second week in a row. But Fred, also some other names to watch, like Halton Lee, Eddie Pepper, Robert McIntyre, Juice Lloyd and Matthias Schwab, Thomas Dietrich, Jordan Smith, who's playing really, really well. Good start to hit this year on the on the European tour comes off a T6 last week and Min Wo Lee, Min Ji Lee's uh, brother who just won in Australia. He's going to be here. And that's another name to watch on the European tour. Yeah. You mentioned Wontong Lee. That's, that's surprising. I mean, as well as he's been playing the last couple of years, you'd think he'd be playing here in the U S a little bit more, especially like, you know, building up here to the big tournaments. But uh, yeah, that's kind of surprising that he's there. Um, yeah, um, new course uh, for them over there. They played uh, 23 years at the Doha Golf Clubs, the first time they've not played there. Um, um, Jose Maria uh, designed and built this golf course. It's uh, actually, uh, it breaks down kind of funny. Um, there's uh, uh, 33 holes split into three courses. There's an 18-hole championship course that they're going to play. There's a nine-hole course, and then there's a six-hole course. So it's not, not your normal 1836 uh, or even uh, 45 or 27 or something design. It's, it's 33. It's 18, 9, and 6. 
So a little bit different. Um, championship course plays 7,300 yards. Um, and um, Justin Harding, who's a defending champion, uh, said he really likes it. It's uh, kind of bad, though. Defending champ, he doesn't get to defend on the course he knows. He has to go play a new one. So, um, so Qatar Masters this week, Carlos. All right. The LPGA is off one more week because of the three events that they had to cancel. But they'll be back next week for the Founders' Cup. So let's talk about the Champions Tour that is moving from Tucson, Arizona, to Newport Beach in California for the Hulk Classic, which has been contested there at Newport Beach Club uh, since 1996. This will be the fifth tournament of the year. Last year, Kirk Triplett prevailed over Woody Austin in a two-hole playoff. Bernhard Langer will be here. He's coming off his 41st career Champions victory and now has won at least once in 14 consecutive seasons. Uh, Vijay Singh, who won in 2018, is back in the field. He skipped his title defense last year to compete at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, but he, I think he learned better. He said, I, can't, I can win here. Freddie Couples have won twice here, has three consecutive top tens in as many starts this year. He's feeling pretty good, playing well, and has finished in the top ten in each of his previous seven starts in this tournament. He has an outstanding career scoring average of 67 at this tournament. Another player to watch, Ernie Els, he said he's excited to be a rookie again. He's a rookie in this in this uh, Champions Tour, and he's going to be making his whole classic debut. Another player, Fred Retief Goosen, he was going to be He's going to be flying cross-country on Sunday to compete on the player's virtue of his win at the seniors player last year. So, Retief Goose and one player to watch here as well. Um, yeah, this is the old Toshiba. Uh, this is the second year for the Hogue Classic as a sponsor. Uh, they've been playing here for a long time, as you said. Uh, good course. Uh, as I remember this course in the past, it's a little bit more of a uh, – uh, shot makers kind of golf course, which a lot of these guys are. You know, there's a couple of big bombers out there, but most of these guys control the ball, can work it, do all those kinds of things. That's why it kind of, I mean, you got to, with Loner coming off a win, you almost got to kind of make him the favorite again this week, I would think. Uh, you mentioned most of the names. Dana Quigley uh, uh, is, is, is playing well. Um, Jimenez is there. He's the ultimate ball control guy. Uh, Kirk Triplett is a defending champion. Scotty Perrell keeps it in play plays a nice game, and he's been playing well. Woody Austin's been playing well, and then you got Ernie. So uh, those are probably the favorites for the week in, um, in Newport, California. And with that, we wrap up our four call. Fred, you have some words for us from Boeing. It's cold and snowy outside right now still at Boeing Resort, but they are offering hot deals for golf this summer on their 10 courses all by top-name designers. They have a course to suit every player. With their website, visit their website and check out the Champions Golf Package or their Unlimited Golf Package. Both provide for great golf. And, of course, you can dine in any of the restaurants, take a lesson from the Boyne Academy. David Warter is there. Or soothe those achy muscles in one of the three spas at any of the three Boyne locations. Start your golf season off in luxury with a stay at the Inn at Bay Harbor, truly a wonderful, wonderful uh, location. There's 18 
There's well, there's actually 27 holes of golf at the Bay Harbor Club. There's three nine-hole courses there. Uh, there's a course up on the hill, uh, Crooked Tree. Um, it's just a fabulous, fabulous place. Don't forget, Boyne has three spas plus a multitude of outdoor activities and makes Boyne one of the premier vacation resorts in the country. Call 855-813-2109. That's 855-813-2109. Or make your reservation by visiting boyne.com forward slash golf. That's boyne.com forward slash golf. Carlos, back to you. All right, and with that, we move on to the Par 5 News, where every week we bring five topics of news worth mentioning. And the first one is a really interesting one. You know, relaxing the game while being inclusive, that is the philosophy behind golf's newest format for competitive and recreational play. And you might be like, okay, what are you talking about, Carlos? Well, you haven't heard yet of doubles golf, it was co-founded by Jack Nicholas and the originators of the PGA Junior League Golf. Technically, it is a trademark rebranding of the two-player scramble, a format in which two players play as a team, choosing the best of their two shots throughout a round and recording a single score per hole. So with an emphasis on nine-hole rounds, the hope is that doubles golf can bring more juniors, women, and young adults into golf while providing another outlet for seniors to continue to play. This has been billed as the first golf format developed in the U.S. So the newly formed organizing body for doubles golf has prominent support right now, including two of the sport's biggest icons. The co-chairs of the United States Double Golf Committee are Jack Nicholas course, Hall of Famer, 18 uh, major championships, and Seth Vaughn, the CEO of the PGA of America. But joining them, Fred, are also the PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan and Annika Sorenstam, who we all know is widely regarded as one of the best women's golfers in history, with 90 international victories, including 72 on the LPGA Tour. I must say, this for... Uh, will earn some respect for this format moving forward. For yeah, Carlos, and I told you before, I, I love playing two-man uh, two man golf. I, I like best ball with handicap. That's my favorite. But but uh, two-man scramble, uh, that's, that's a blast. And, you know, it could be, you know, husband and wife. It could be, um, you know, two women. It could be anything, you know. I mean, it's, this is good stuff. Uh, I, I think they're on the right track here. You know, in tennis, you play doubles all the time. Why not in golf? Uh, you know, when we go out uh, with another couple to play, um, you know, we basically play a scramble. Um, or if any time my wife goes out to play with me, we kind of play as a scramble. Um, so, I, you know, this is kind of like, duh, this is like a no-brainer. Why didn't somebody think of this before? Um, I, I think it's a great idea. And, you know, we like to watch the team events in the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup or the even the PNC Championship when the seniors play with the, you know, the father-son deal or the father-child deal. Uh, it, it's, it's doubles. It's, it's a lot of fun. So uh, I, I think it's going to be good. I, I like it. I think it's a great idea. And, my goodness, when you got the Jack and Seth Wall and Jay Monahan and Annika Sorensen kind of heading things up, uh, how can you go wrong? you got some pretty good brain power right there. 
and you get some eyeballs immediately. So there's going to be respect for the for the movement, and definitely it's a format that everybody enjoys. I haven't heard of anybody saying that they don't like it. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that, as we usually do with many of these innovative things. And uh, anything that comes up with it, you know that we are going to be all over it. Now, Fred, oh, man, just thinking about this next one. Make I my know. My my mouth hurt. I, I it, it wasn't I me, but it's like one of those nightmares that you have when you go to a golf course. Is I wish, I mean, let's let me just put it this way. This is not what happened to him, to the, to a guy that we're going to be talking about. It's uh, about a British actor and presented to Owen. But think about this: when you see the pro golfers in the Fred, this is a question for you that I have before we talk about this. If you are a fan watching a pro golf tournament and you are in that line of fire, let's put it that nope. way, where nope. the golfer <laughs> when the golfer right is going to tee off, let me tell you, I would never, ever never. be in front. I know they're pros, nope. but I, re- I even remember when Bubba Watson won, won the Masters and he was on that last hole – between the trees when he did that phenomenal draw that he did. But the fans were like, just how did he hit that ball? I mean, I, I would have been in that position. I, there's no way I don't hit anyone. No way. I, I'm going to hit somebody. <laughs> Somebody's going to get hit. So I bet everybody has to get out. It's going to be like 100 yards away. But this guy, Sid Owen, had every golfer's worst nightmare happen to him. And the worst thing, it was that wasn't a vacation. He was in Thailand, and he was playing golf <laughs> during his trip when a shot ricocheted off a nearby tree and came back and hit him in the face. Ouch. I mean, it shattered his jaw, knocked out several teeth, required 15 hours of surgery, and he's still there waiting for a results of a brain scan. I don't know, Fred. I, I am never going to be near a tree anymore. I prefer, I don't know, after watching <laughs> the picture of this guy and just hearing about it. No way. I, I, no, 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 no. If I ever see a tree again, I, I, I'm thinking of Molly again, Fred. I'm thinking of Molly. Did you, did you see the picture of this guy? I mean, it knocked out like the whole left yeah, side yeah. of his, uh, no, And it, it, no, it, drove no. one, it drove one tooth into his jaw. <laughs> it embedded in his jaw. It hit him so hard. I mean, oh, oh my goodness! I, we shouldn't laugh. I mean, I, I it, this is really, uh, really bad. I mean, this is really terrible for the guy. Fifteen hours of surgery he had to have, uh, and they're still waiting on the brain scan result. Uh, so um, he had to get his visa extended because he couldn't leave because he had to wait to see if he's okay to travel and stuff. So uh, he said instead of a vacation, it just turned into five weeks of hell. Um, all, be, all because he was playing golf and hit a shot that hit a tree and came back and hit him in the head. So really feel sorry for the guy. I uh, shouldn't be laughing because it could happen to anybody, but uh, that that was awful. Totally. Uh, let's move on because uh, I'm hurting just from remembering <laughs> seeing his picture. I still have his picture. When I opened that news and I saw the, the picture of him, I, I, I almost cried. But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about history. Uh, 
Pranina Lindbergh, who's an LPGA major winner from Sweden, missed the cut at the New Zealand Open. But that was after she became the first woman to play in the professional tournament that is 101 years old. The first woman to do it. She shot one over seven three on Friday. But unfortunately, that followed a first round of nine over par and finishing a tie for 156 out of the 156 strong field. But while she missed the cut, she really surpassed her goal for the tournament. And she said, my goal for the tournament was to beat just one man. She beat four. So Fred, she's an 11-year uh, LPGA Tour veteran, won the NNA Inspiration two, two years ago, played the tournament on a sponsor's invitation. He was, she teamed in the Pro-Am format with uh, the New Zealand rugby star, Bodon Barrett. And uh, she had also been married in Queenstown a year ago and was holidaying with her husband in the South Island Resort. So to celebrate their first anniversary when she was invited to compete. So, uh, yeah, very bad first round. But she played that second round really well, considering all circumstances. Just one over 73. If she would have had a little bit better luck going up in that first round, I, I, I bet for it she was nervous in that first round, just stepping out there with the man playing. But women keep doing and making history. I, I know they're still far away, but hey, from playing alongside the men on the equal conditions, but this is the, the type of things that make you think, hey, it can happen. Yeah, uh, she had to be a lot of nerves on that first day. Um, she shot an 80 that first round and then comes back with 73. So, I, like you say, that's pretty strong. Uh, on a men's course, uh, that's really good. This was a pro-am format, uh, so kind of a little bit of a lighter an event, but still it's a, it's a men's professional tournament. So um, the uh, tournament chairman, John Hart, was very thrilled to have Lindbergh appear uh, in the tournament. Um, you know, he said, uh, we tried to build this tournament over the last nine or ten years, and the program format has become established. We're always looking at innovation and to be creative. We want this tournament to be a fun tournament, and Pernilla just fit. To have a major winner join our other two major winners here is special, and we recognize it and celebrate it. So they were all very happy that she teed it up. She, she loves New Zealand. They were, they were going to be down there. She was going to be down there anyhow, playing in the uh, uh, LPGA tournaments down there. So um, she said, yeah, why not? We'll tee her up. And uh, she made really, I know she missed the cut, but she really made a pretty good showing for herself. She really did. Hey, let's talk about uh, the U.S. Open. It may be the most democratic of the four men's majors. Conceivably, any golfer could enter, of course, given that their USGA handicap index is low enough, and win. Other than the difficult and demanding USGA setup, the calling card of the national championship is that it allows golfers to dream that they could be the Cinderella story. So the USGA is now emphasizing that open part of the U.S. Open with a new branding campaign due from many, one. So with some 9,000 people entering the U.S. Open each year, you got to think, hey, yeah, the slogan kind of makes itself. Uh, the U.S. Open funds some 75% of the organization's annual revenue, with half of the championship's intake going funding to the USGA's work. So the slogan, 
was developed in concert with uh, California-based Zambezi, and it's a take on the E Pluridus Unum. That is in Latin. That motto is found on the U.S. currency and a quintessential American slogan. So, Fred, what do you think about this move, uh, this new branding from the USDA uh, from many? One, <laughs> I, did, I get it, but well, what's your take? I'll, I'll finish it up after that. I want to hear your take on this. I, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I get it, but it just doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. Uh, you know, it's kind of like live under par. You know, I, I like the thing. These guys are good. You know, I, I really like that. You know, I, why get rid of that? And then the, the PGA Tour goes to live under par or something. But from many, one for the uh, USGA, I don't know. Um, I see Don Cheadle was trying to uh, sell this idea to everybody because uh, he's the new USGA ambassador uh, guy. But uh I can't get too excited about it, Carlos. Uh, just one another one of those USGA things that uh, just seems about, uh, I don't know, just doesn't get it for me. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say something different. <laughs> but I thought you were going to say, that's the way these guys waste their money on but yeah, well. <laughs> no, no. I, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I get it, but I... I I don't get moved just like you it was like uh i was yeah. expecting something powerful oh come on but from anyone yeah, yeah i know it's like yeah. tell me something new different but no yeah, it's not yeah. anyway um let's talk about the closing on this par five news and it's that nbc sports group will be relocating its golf channel's headquarters from orlando to its base in stamford So they're saying that it's because of geographic consolidation, which is growing and sensible trend across the media industry. Uh, but the moves will take place over the next 12 to 18 months, though they did not say how many employees will be moving to its Stanford headquarters at Juan Blakey Road. Uh, NBC Sports Group reportedly, reportedly signed a nine-year extension with the PGA Tour recently, which... Uh, would maintain Golf Channel as its, as its primary cable partner and continue NBC Sports status along with CBS as the PGA primary network broadcasters. So uh, I know that the fees, the combined rights fee increase in the deal reportedly is about $300 million per year, but uh, it, it, I understand from a business standpoint that they want to move their golf channel uh, to the headquarters in Stanford. That's where a lot of these other um, TVs, networks are. ESPN is there. There's some others as well, and I understand the consolidation part. And I understand also golf channel, when they started, uh, NBC bought golf channel. It wasn't uh, originally from them. That's why they got started in Orlando. So how you see this move, uh, I just – see it just as a business move i don't think there's any anything wrong or anything good with it it's just no, another it, business move from nbc sports yeah it, no it makes sense um and kind of surprised they haven't done it before actually um as you said when the golf channel started back in 1994 you know arnold palmer was involved arnold's in orlando and and um you know that that's where they started they were able to get a building there and that's where they began Um, and uh, so they've been down there, and, you know, Comcast, the NBC bought them 
uh, a few years ago, and uh, they've let them stay in Orlando, but it makes more sense. They have all their operations. They have all their studios and things there in Stanford. It just makes sense to move up there. Now, it's not going to be as easy to get pros to stop in and do, because there's a lot of pros that live in the Orlando area or live in Florida or are in Florida for one reason or another to stop through and do an interview or to come on TV or do that kind of thing. So it's going to be a little bit dip, more difficult to get some of that. They'll have to develop some new people coming through um, up there, you know, outside of New York. So, uh, so that's going to be a little bit different. But, um, you know, and the question is, why spend money on a remote site when everything they need is right there at the main uh, office there in, in Stanford? So all we have to do is move the people up. So it, it's bad for the people that are going to be asked to move, um, but it's, you know, and also, it's going to be the ones who are going to lose their jobs because not everybody's going to go, right? Um, they, they've already got people doing some jobs up there that can work on the Golf Channel stuff. So they're not going to need everybody that's in Orlando. So this is a consolidation of, of, uh, of personnel as well. So some people are going to be let go. Uh, some people maybe have lives here in Florida that, that maybe NBC would want to go up there, but they're saying, no, I don't want to, I'm, I'm rooted here. I don't want to leave. So maybe they're not going to take the move. I don't know. So a lot of stuff is going on with that. That's why they really they, they really haven't officially reported this yet because uh, they want to make sure of the personnel and, and who's what and all that kind of thing. But um, Golf Channel does have just a little bit of a problem. Um, their core business, the Golf Channel itself, is solid, and their golf programming is very solid. Uh, they, they make good money. Uh, but it is overpaid for some of the other properties, like Golf Now, Golf Pass. Um, they, cut, they cut some writers in Golf Advisor because they were losing in some of these other things, and they had to cut some costs someplace, uh, like by 20%. So, um, uh, yeah, so they're not – it's all not sweetness and light at Golf Channel. There are, some, there are some areas that are not doing well, some of their uh, satellite business, if you will. Um, you know, for what they're paying Rory for what he does, and, you know, Golf Now is not getting the traction they thought it was going to get. Um, and Golf Advisor gets a lot of reads, um, but they, they had like five writers on staff, and I think they let two or three of them go. Um, so um, they do have a bit of a problem, but their, their main core business, the Golf Channel itself, is, is strong. It's the stuff that they bought and maybe they paid a little bit too much money for on some of the other stuff. So. Uh, but bottom line, Carlos, moving up there to Connecticut just seems to make this is good business sense anyhow. It just seems to make sense. It definitely does. And with that, <clears throat> we wrap up our Par 5 news. And now we're not going to have a VIG this week, but we'll move to the practice range. Where every week, Fred and I pick a topic, and each one of us take our own shots at it. This week is uh, an ongoing issue. And it's, of course, related to the coronavirus, but in this, in this special case, it's about the LPGA. We all know they had to cancel three tournaments that were in their Asia swing, and we want to talk about what does those canceled events mean for the rest of the LPGA season. Uh, and, Fred, I'm going to let you lead this one, and then I'll contribute to it. Well, number one, of course, uh, the players are there to make money. Uh, it's their job. They want to make an income. And so with three less tournaments to, to, make, a, uh, to make money at, it hurts their income. 
So they want to try and make that up. So some players that were playing in those, uh, maybe those were maybe only 81 player fields. They were invitationals. Some of the bigger names are going to play in those are not going to have to play in other tournaments here in the United States, which will help those fields actually. And I was just talking to the, uh, the um, uh, media guy for the uh, uh, Marathon Classic here uh, a week or so, a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know, you should have a, pre- a little bit better field because of these lost tournaments. Yeah, I said, we hadn't thought about it a lot, but we think that that might be the case. Um, also, the other side of that is that the like tournaments like the Marathon Classic or some of the others gave more chances for younger players to actually get in the field to have a chance to earn money, to have a chance to gain their cards for next year. So some of these lower players are going to have less chances to get into tournaments to earn enough money to keep their cards for next year, and they're going to end up bouncing back to Symmetra Tour or find a job coaching or doing something else. They might be out of golf. Um, There's going to be less opportunities for other countries to qualify for the UL International Crown. Some of these uh, women were going to use some of these tournaments to get up in the rankings to get their country into the UL crown. Um, there's going to be less uh, qualifiers, in, in essence, for the majors. So somebody who could maybe have moved their way up into the rankings higher so they could get into the major tournaments like the NA or the tradition or whatever, um, um, that, that, that's not going to happen. Um, a, a big problem here, and this is really, to me, this is really a serious issue, I'm not sure what all was happening in Asia with those tournaments, but if that happened here in the United States, there'd be a lot less charitable dollars because those tournaments generate dollars for charity. And many of those charities really count on that infusion of cash every year to maintain their operations and to continue their great work. Like here in the Marathon Classic here in Toledo, um, that thing kicks out about five hundred some thousand dollars a year and funds uh, and, and provides funds for like twenty some children's charities. So if they had to go without that, those charities would really be hurting. Um, less money for tour operations. The, the LPGA tour makes money off those things, and also they get the TV revenue. Well, none of that's going to happen. Um, another big thing is you've got less exposure to Asian fans and media. So young girls uh, who may want to learn to play the game or the Asian golf fans going to be able to get their golf fix over there. Uh, The sponsors suffer as well. Uh, Part of their marketing budget was allocated to these events and other media efforts surrounding them. So now a big piece of that is lost that's going to affect sponsors' revenues as well. So if they're not doing the marketing, maybe their sales will also be hurt. So it's going to maybe hurt the bottom line. Um, and the, the really bad thing about this was that, you know, the 2020 LPGA Tour schedule was announced last fall with so much hype and excitement because they were going to be playing uh, 33 events, 11 countries, uh, $75.1 million in total purses. Uh, you're going to have the UL International Crown uh, filling up TV screens, 500 hours of action. And, man, you take away three tournaments, 33, that's, that's nearly, uh, nearly 10% of the season that you lose. So um, the coronavirus has limited three tournaments, almost 10% of the tour schedule. Affects sponsors, charities, fans, TV time. 
would not be surprised to see even more events canceled as we go through the year. So, uh, uh, you know, this it's really hurt. It's really hurt the uh, the, the LPGA Tour, as I mentioned earlier. Um, the PGA Championship is going to be going to San Francisco. Is that going to be a problem? What about the Open Championship uh, coming up? You know, uh, just any kind of international travel at all. Um, this coronavirus is really shaking things up, Carlos. It definitely is. And uh, I would say all parties, I think all parties agree that it has been a good idea to cancel the tournaments and uh, the ones that have been postponed or just for a later day. I mean, it, we, I, I talked about this before. It's better to be safe than sorry, uh, even though all those decisions really are not easy, considering all the logistics that surround all that. I mean, there's, there was obvious disappointment, especially from the players, that some of them on the LPGA front-load their schedules in the hopes of vaulting up the world rankings because, after all, this is an Olympic year. And in the the ladies also, like you mentioned, the biennial UL International Crown is on this summer schedule as well. So those on the cusp of qualifying wanted as many starts as possible to increase their chances of making those teams. We haven't heard of any one of them say that it was a bad idea to cancel it, but you got you to gotta feel for them. Uh, they have been waiting for this all these years, and the, the, the Olympics are here. They front-loaded those, uh, that schedule, and they had that plan. And now also all of those who said, okay, I'm going to – you start planning your schedule around to get into peak form for the majors as well. So all of that is thrown into – gone. I mean, those plans are gone right now. So while canceling event really is impacting golfers at the highest level of the game, it's not only the ladies, but everywhere, uh, we have to say this will be nothing compared also to the disruption the golf industry will feel if problems continue in China, because many of the clubs, the bags, the shoes, and apparel that we all use are manufactured in China. Club production is centered around the southern Chinese uh, city of Guangzhou. And we have already learned that one leading factory there has been forced to cancel production as staff is unable to return to the area after the Chinese year celebrations. So with the Chinese government enforcing nationwide travel bans, it's really hard to see a positive short-term outcome to alleviate the problem. Without staff, the factories really cannot produce the products needed to service the major golf markets in Europe and North America. Normal club golfers will not notice any impact in the first part of the year, but they will certainly do so in the second and third quarter where planned shipments from China will not have been able to be delivered on schedule. The options of the, for many of the leading golf companies is exceptionally limited because that technical expertise and the machinery needed to produce a driver, for example, may be only viable in China, Taiwan, or Vietnam. If production runs in Taiwan or Vietnam are fully booked, how quickly can a company look 
at another option to satisfy their order books. I mean, this is an issue that you're going to hear a lot more about in the months to come, and we can only hope it does not impact the whole golf industry in the serious way that it could. Players everywhere are, are impacted by this, but as well, there has to be some worry about what the golf industry is going to suffer if this happens. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's big. And I, we're seeing it, uh, Carlos, we're seeing it across all industries. Um, as you mentioned, you know, the, it, if you're making something here in the United States, you may be assembling it here, but the parts and pieces you need come from China. And if those production lines are halted, um, it's affecting business across every specter of, of every industry uh, in just about anything you can think of right now. So um, the horror of horrors that TaylorMade might not be able to come out with their next newest best driver, and we might have to play with the same driver for two years. Oh, my goodness. That would be awful. Um, but uh, – this, this coronavirus thing is not just affecting golf tournaments. It's affecting everything, uh, but uh, the players are suffering as well. They are, and uh, Callaway recently felt that pain with the stock market experiencing downturn amidst the global concern. But if that wasn't bad enough, Callaway has also predicted a $25 million revenue decrease this year due to the manufacturing disruptions in China. Yeah, coronavirus might be preventing you from having that brand new Maverick driver you just ordered and expect to have it in your bag for that first run of spring golf. But sadly, the problems aren't limited to Callaway or any other. As it goes without saying that uh, as the coronavirus continues to spread, absent any restraints or signs of an effective vaccination, it is really likely that other equipment companies and other tours and other sports will also start to feel the pain. So we, this is something that definitely is impacting everyone everywhere. And, uh, of course, like we mentioned before, the Olympics are in the summer in Japan. So we're still not close to it, but we're close enough to some events that are going to start impacting the people that are going to be playing there. Fred, any other words you want to say on this before we close it? No, I think we covered it, Carlos. All right. With that, we close the practice range. Every week, Fred and I pick a topic, and each one of us take our own shots at it, and that was the coronavirus and the impact on the LPGA and beyond. Now let's talk about the final pots. And, uh, you know, it's time for one of the most fun things about the Masters. The Champions Dinner Mania has been mostly revealed by the 2019 winner, Tiger Woods. In years past, we've seen some incredible offers. I mean, Patrick Reed served ribeye. Oh, I would have been there. That's the main course with some awesome sides like corn creme brulee, mac and cheese. I'm getting hungry. Uh, so that was last year. In that same uh, post, I mean, Woods said that his dinner – uh, in 1999, had cheeseburgers, chicken fries, and fries, and, uh, and milkshakes, and it was a sample, but good many. But now, and of course, he was very young back then, but now it turns out he might be bringing back shakes for a very good reason. 
I heard in Golf Week that he said to reports on Tuesday, I'm debating whether or not to have milkshakes at desserts because that was one of the most great memories to see uh, Gene Saracen and Sam Snead having milkshakes that night in 98. The rest of the menu, steak. Oh, yes. Chicken fajitas and sushi and sashimi out on the deck. A solid bunch of offerings all around, especially if there's milkshake. Tiger, if you invite me, I, I won't mind vanilla. Uh, low uh, on the side. I don't like the too thick. Uh, you know, just, just so you know, uh, that's how I like it. Uh, Roy McIlroy, finally, he confirmed he will take part in this uh, May's Dubai Duty Free Irish Open at Mount Juliet. Uh, he missed the tournament last year because he wanted to focus on preparing for the Open Championship at Royal Portrush, but he's going to be back in this edition, taking his play, place alongside the likes of John Ram, Shane Lowry, and the tournament host, Graham McDowell. He wants shaping to be out a top-class uh, Kilkenny field. So uh, Roy McIlroy, uh, true to his word, he said he was going to be this year there, and he is going to be. Fred, I w I'm going to add a third one. Uh, and it's that the Honda Classic executive director, Ken Kennerly, he had been lobbying to PGA Tour officials about getting a date change for the event. And finally, he will get his wish because he confirmed that the tournament will be moved deeper into March next year. So instead of leading off the Florida swing, the Honda Classic will be played now March 18th to the 21st. And with that change, the Arnold Palmer Invitational will lead off next year followed by the players, and then the Honda Classic. Uh, that is a big change to me. I mean, the, that rebuilt uh, since Ken Lindley took over in 2007 with some elite fields responding to the tournament's upgrades, and it's moved to PGA National. Uh, and this new PGA Tour schedule unveiled two years ago added new challenges for them. So I think the big loser here is the Arnold Palmer Invitational because there's going to be a lot of players that will like to play on the Players' Championship the, the week after. And even though they are right now before the players, starting the Florida swing, I would say it will even decrease the chances because there will be more players for it, trying to skip it just to be ready for the players. Yeah, especially coming off after, like, the Genesis, which all the big guys play in, and, you know, the WGC, Mexico. and So, yeah, that uh, Arnold Palmer is going to be the big loser in that deal. Um, we've got uh, Morgan Hoffman, a PGA Tour member, who had been diagnosed with uh, muscular dystrophy, um, and, but still, you know, battles and play, uh, has been awarded the Tours a Courage Award. So congratulations to him. Um, got to be, I mean, it's tough to, to, to be out there banging a golf ball around and walking those courses, but if you're battling muscular dystrophy on top of it, it's got to be really difficult. Uh, the RNA announced the new date for the Women's Amateur Asia Pacific that got moved to October. It was postponed due to the coronavirus scare, uh, and so they moved it to October 7 through 10 at the Siam Country Club in uh, Thailand. And then the... Um, 2020 Senior Open at Sunningdale, uh, the uh, Senior British Open, uh, the purse they raised it uh, 500 grand to 2.5 million, so that's a pretty big boost. That's like a 20% boost. So that's uh, going to be taking place at uh, Sunningdale Golf Club, uh, and uh, the, you know, so yeah, that's uh, that's quite a bit. Carlos, want to uh, urge all our listeners to 
watch a couple new videos that we just put up uh, on back9report.com. Uh, there's a video of you and I uh, meeting down in Dallas a couple weeks ago, and then we also taped another video talking about the World Golf Tour and outlining that, and we have that video up, and it will be on Roku within the next 24 to 48 hours. Um, so you can check it out at Back9ReportTV on Roku or at Back9Report.com. Uh, videos are at both places, so I urge our listeners to do that. Um, Michigan Golf Journal is out there. Ohio Golf Journal is out there. The um, March issue of Michigan Golf Journal will be is available now at the website, actually. Uh, also, Ohio Golf Journal, the March issue will be coming out next week. So uh, check out the videos of Back Nine Report TV, Roku, or Back Nine uh, Report dot com. Carlos, back to you. Fred, since we have a few minutes, I'm going to ask you a question. Let me yeah. include this. Uh, Augusta National has been a bully buying land, right? So did they you see bought the, did you a see Wendy's. The story today? A Wendy's. Did you see the story today? Yeah, they bought a Wendy's. Yeah. They bought a Wendy's yeah. for $3.45 yeah. million. That is a yeah. hefty price for just an acre That's of land. That's a lot of cheese. So my question. That's a lot of cheeseburgers. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so my question to you is, I'm going to give you a multiple choice uh, question, okay? Okay. What does this mean? I mean, well, A, the Baconator now be on that famous Masters concession <laughs> menu. B, the Masters yield social media controls to an infamously lethal and outspoken brand account. C, Tiger Woods serves Frosties at his Champions Tennis this year. <laughs> or D, the Augusta National Golf Club uh, eventually raised the building to expand its operational footprint in the neighborhood. Which one do you think it is? Yeah, I don't think they're going to raise the building for right now. Uh, the uh, the franchisee says it's going to be business as usual. Uh, they're going to keep uh, pushing out hamburgers for, for the foreseeable future. Um, the uh, the Augusta National has, has acquired more than $6 million worth of real estate uh, and homes uh, in the surrounding area. Uh, they bought eight properties uh, totaling over three acres. Um, and it's, it's, it's over $200 million they've spent buying up real estate around the golf course over the last, what, 10, 15, 20 years. They just keep buying up everything. Uh, they paid uh, $3.45 million for almost one acre of the Wendy's property. Um, and so it gives the club ownership nearly all of Washington Rudd Frontage uh, on the uh, south side between the club's western fences and uh, Berkman's uh, Road. So all that stuff across the road there, if you've been there, they, they own all of that uh, frontage there. Um, and I don't know what they're planning on doing. I think they just got it to protect themselves. Um, they they want to, you know, if they have to keep growing the golf course, they've, they've, they've increased it, they've grown it. I don't know if they have to go any farther. Um, you know, did you, I, I know we didn't, I didn't bring this up. Did you happen to see the video um, that, uh, that Snell did, um, Snell Golf, that guy? Um, that he did uh, um, talking about the golf ball and eliminating golf ball. It was the best. It made the most sense of anybody I've heard. Uh, it's not the golf ball itself. It's, it's, it's some other stuff that, that's making the big dif- di- distance difference. 
And uh, he he really he's been in the golf ball business for over 30 years, and 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 he knows it inside and out. And and it was really really well done. We might talk about some more about that next week. Um, but uh, the, getting back to Augusta National, they they've made the course so much bigger. They've lengthened it. Uh, they've added. They they bought the piece from uh, uh, adjoining Augusta Golf Club, Country Club, and uh, they've so they've moved the, the fifth tee back there and extended that hole. Uh, they moved 13th tee back, made that longer. Um, you know, they, they're constantly playing around with the golf course, doing different stuff. So uh, I don't know if they're going to have to – they are landlocked there with all the properties around there. So they keep buying them up just to make sure that they're protected and if they need more room, they can have it. But uh, they're going to own that whole section of Augusta before everything's over, they just keep buying stuff up, Carlos. Yeah, I got a text here. So to my friend John, no, the Baconator is not coming to the Masters menu. <laughs> but the Washington Road Wendy's <laughs> will continue operations through the end of its lease, and then it will be, it will not be long for this world. So fear not. The, 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 better, the, better, question, the better question, Carlos, would be, is Wendy's now going to start serving pimento cheese sandwiches don't know but i can tell you one thing fear not because one landmark still remains across that street from wendy's and that is the arby's that the same <laughs> one where tiger woods ate a beef and cheddar every single night of the week during his legendary record-breaking 1997 master swing it still stands for now and with that i like it carlos i i gotta tell uh-huh. you I got to tell you, I like the Arby's brisket, man. That stuff is really, really good. I'm, I'm, I'm big on that. Hey, T- Tiger would love you for that, so bring him on. <laughs> Back Niners, that wraps up another week of the Back Nine Report. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest in the world's golf. Don't forget to join us next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Blocked Up Radio. If you miss it, check it out on iTunes or tune in. If you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back 9 Report with the number 9 in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres. Along with Fred Alvader, we wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody.